Okay. You just tell me when you want to start. I, I want to start. Okay. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Soundboard. Yes, remember that? The Soundboard from needcoffee.com. I'm Rob Levy, and I am uh, in the driver's seat today, which means tomorrow you're all going to be using Uber. Um, I'm with, with, uh, with me is, uh, of course, Mr. J.M. Tuffley. How are you, sir? I think I'm paying for the surge pricing for Uber for the next episode. Nice. And then I'm also joined by the head honcho and uh, chief bottle washer of the Need Coffee Caliphate, uh, Mr. Widget Walls. Uh, I would pay for surge pricing if uh, if I could actually drink surge while I was in the car. Oh, no. I, think that's, I think that's included. Is it? Sweet. I'll have to check. Sweet. Yes, it is. So, uh, we haven't done this in a while, so today's uh, show is kind of two basic functions. One, it's going to catch you, our five listeners, up to sort of what's been going on since we last convened. And two, sort of, you know, we're kind of at the early quarter of the year, sort of what's going on with the year and what's going on. And, of course, we have our own wacky misadventures in the world of music to discuss as well. So I guess we'll start off, uh, as we normally do, by talking about a couple of the... uh, Famous dead people that have died in the last uh, couple months. There, there's been lots, but we've limited it because of uh, of time and also sort of, you know, I'm the only person in the world that'll care about a particular blues guy from the 20s that, that died at 90 and stuff like that. So um, I, I thought I'd start with Joe Cocker. Uh, this one kind of sucked. It was, uh, I believe, December 21st of last year, right around Christmas, and Joe Cocker died. And I was very surprised, guys, to know that Joe Cocker was not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Uh, that kind of threw me. But uh, Joe Cocker, uh, an English singer, well-known for not only his gig at uh, Woodstock, but uh, also for his sort of raspy, bluesy soul interpretations of Beatles songs and uh, his strange stage mannerisms. But you get past all of that, the guy had a hell of a voice and a uh, pretty interesting guy. He won a Grammy Award, I think, in 1983 or 84, 83, I think. And was nominated a couple other times. And I did not know this as well, um, but he was an OBE at Order of the British Empire. So yeah. kind, of a, kind of a big figure in the, in the world of, of singing. Um, and probably one of the great sort of vocalists of the 60s and 70s in terms of he didn't screw around with instruments. He didn't try to like fiddle around with a harmonium or anything. He just went up to the mic and sang. So kind of that, of that ilk, we don't have too many of those guys left these days. You know, I was surprised because, uh, you know, the, we, we just had the big uh, SNL 40 thing. And he wasn't really mentioned. Yeah, I, th- I thought that was and, interesting. Too. And he was kind of a, a big part of, like, the early SNL, particularly Belushi's uh, impersonation of him. Which was great. Spot on. Yeah. So I was surprised he wasn't mentioned in, uh, in the SNL special. But, um, but yeah, very, uh, very interesting... Uh, Lasting influence of uh, Joe Cocker, and he had a, he had kind of a comeback in the uh, kind of the late eighties. Kind of disappeared yes. for a while, and then he came back. He uh, what, what was the song for Upper Room? No, it wasn't Upper Room. Was he in the he did the song with Jennifer Warrens? Was that from Officer and a Gentleman? Or that's that Officer and a Gentleman. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that I, that was one of them. I mean, Up Where We Belong was one of them. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think there was a couple of duets that he did. But but I mean, again, like you said. To me, he was the guy who could cover the living shit out of a Beatles song. You know, there's, there's a lot of people have covered Beatles songs, but yeah. um, not very few of them successfully, shall we say, uh, or or uh, 
memorably. And uh, there's, there's no way you can listen to um, his version of Little Help from My Friends yeah. and just go, wow, that, that dude is nailing it. it. It was fantastic. And the great thing about that is that he sort of took the Beatles, who are sort of steeped in, like, you know, old American blues and old American soul, and then it became this rock music. And then he sort of took it back to its organic roots. And I think that made him really popular with the Beatles. Because I know um, very few people at the time when he got to do those songs, it wasn't like he just, oh, I'm going to do a Beatles song. It was a, it was a big, ha- big hang-up to do somebody else's song at that particular era when he started doing that. And um, he was, yeah, I think he's a greatly underrated and underappreciated singer. Well, well you, have to, you have to give him credit, though. That was a Ringo song. Yeah. If you could take the Ringo song... <laughs> On the record, and transcend and make it actually yours. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm saying? That's a great song, Ringo or otherwise. Yeah. I rise up to defend Ringo on that song. Yes. Save your Ringo defense for later in the program. All right. Um, <laughs> duly, wow. duly noted. Fight! Fight! <laughs> And uh, the other person we lost was, we lost two in a row here. Uh, the first one we lost was Steve Strange, who died on February 15th. Now, what's interesting about Steve Strange is he um, kind of had dual careers. He um, was in a, punk, a couple punk bands in the 70s, one of which uh, had uh, Chrissy Hine from The Pretenders in it for a while. And then he formed a band called Visage with Barry Adamson and uh, Midjur later, who would be in Ultravox, and then also John McGuck, who would be in uh, PIL later and they were sort of the at the forefront of that new romantic movement in the early 80s their big hit was fade to gray and they had a fun hit called in the year 25 25 and some other stuff um sort of really made that new wave thing happen that whole androgynous new romantic thing happen um his look and his style influenced everyone from say uh animant to duran duran and later on, Boy George. I mean, a lot of the, the weird stage makeup that Boy George did and stuff was directly taken from him. He also appeared on an episode of Ashes to Ashes, which uh, I forgot about. Until well, that's, read- kind of, that's kind of how I know him right off. Yeah. Is uh, uh, by the, uh, the, the Fade to Grey uh, club scene. Yeah, which is great. Now, the other thing that's interesting is he opened a club in London in the early 80s called The Blitz. And it was it's kind of what to... The new romantic, early new wave uh, movement, what CBGB is to the punk movement here. It's kind of this like club that celebrated everything weird and strange, and um, it was a big hangout for like rock stars and British actors and uh, Oliver Reed. And um, Oliver Reed used to actually go with um, Peter O'Toole, <laughs> God, to that, and uh, as well. So there's all these interesting sort of things that he did with Blitz. And Blitz was apparently a club. He started doing Bowie nights and it moved into a whole club and David Bowie wanted to go, but apparently it was too weird for David Bowie. Wow. Uh, so he only went like once or twice because apparently it was just too far out and too weird for David Bowie. Uh, the other great Steve Strange story is uh, Mick Jagger came in one night and they're like, they ran to get him and said, Hey, Mick Jagger wants to get in. So he runs outside and he says, wow, you really look like Mick Jagger. And Mick Jagger's like, yeah, I really am Mick Jagger. He goes, well, so does everybody else right now. Get in the back of the line. And so Mick Jagger's out in the line at this club for hours trying to get in, and Steve Strange's like, I'm not letting you in. You're not weird enough, man. So that is hilarious. Um, 
which I think is kind of funny, actually. But he's kind of he's this, this cultural legacy sort of, of being involved with kickstarting the romantic movement, which later came over here with Duran Duran, Spandau Ballet, stuff like that. Any of that sort of androgynous 80s singer stuff, that's all him. Um, and he kind of made that really work for him. What's interesting is I talked to uh, – I have a coworker who's really into this, really, really into, into the band. And he was telling me, you know, he had a heroin problem. And he did not drink – and he did not do any drugs. But basically he got hooked on heroin because Phil Linnett used to hang out at the Blitz. And uh, kind of as a joke, he'd be trashed and he'd just walk up to someone at the urinal and just stab him. So Steve Strange is in the bathroom one day. And he, Phil Linnett walks up, stabs him with the knife, and that's how he got hooked on heroin. So, um, oh, which shit. Is, which is kind of an urban legend. Yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of sad. But um, who would have thought? So, yeah, I think he's kind of interesting for that sort of reason. He's not necessarily this giant, mythic, you know, carved in stone rock icon, but he is sort of an interesting figure in uh, British popular music and pop culture. So I thought we probably should mention that as well. Now, I was I was reading up on him, and um, uh, it, it seems to me there's like the two – over here we had the like the Ramones that people – heard and went out and started bands and yeah. didn't he come out of the whole sex pistols yes that he was born out of that as yeah. well on the other that's, side that's of the pond everybody who was a pop star in the 80s was almost a twister but he was very good friends with glenn matlock from um um the, sex the, origi- the original uh, basis for the sex pistols yeah for the sex pistols yeah and you know he was into punk bands one i think was uh the photons and then he had another one um the some, the Moors or the Moors Murderer or something like that. Okay. He, was in, he was in a couple punk bands early, and they didn't really go anywhere. Then he just sort of latched onto this thing with synthesizers, and the rest was sort of history. Actually, and actually, guys it, come from a punk background, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, actually, it seems like um, there are two Sex Pistols gigs that are credited for yeah. the creation of new wave and post punk and 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 Factory Records. Like, there's one gig in Manchester, and then there's, like, one gig outside of London. Yep. And, like, between those two gigs in 1976, uh, you have the Manchester scene, and mm-hmm. then you have the London scene that The Clash came out of right after that. Yeah, and I think one of the Clash bands, or one of the punk bands that Strange was in, was he was in with Topper Heaton. I think. Yeah, I think uh, so. I think so, and that's, I haven't done a lot of research on that, but I think that's right. I think it's him. And then Midger would go on to form Ultravox, which is kind of interesting as well. Um, and Blitz, apparently, by, by, by all accounts of it, is true, was truly sort of like the oddest of the oddest of all the sort of clubs. It was kind of like the punk people wouldn't even go in there. It was just truly regarded as like the strangest place on earth. Um, so I kind of imagine, you know... Studio 54 with, like, Rip Taylor as your doorman, and I think that's kind of what you're looking at with that, you know. Um, so, yeah, Steve Strange died, and uh, he died uh, in Egypt. He was on vacation, which is never any fun. And then uh, earlier this week, uh, from this recording, we lost Leslie Gore, who is one of the last great voices of sort of the female singers of the 50s and 60s. Uh, she did Judy's Turn to Cry, It's My Party, sort of... That in that era of, you know, singers that just were like teen pop singers sort of, you know, in the vein of, uh, of that era. 
And she started off her career singing at the 64 World's Fair in New York and just kind of, it took off, uh, or she took, that was one of the things that she did. And then it just sort of took off. I mean, it's my party, which I think was 50, late 50s, early 60s. That really took off as well. And that sort of put her on the board. But Yeah, uh, 63 on It's My Party. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so that's kind of a kind of a, a bummer as well. She's sort of a iconic figure in that a lot of contemporary female singers cited her as an influence. Uh, definitely people like Amy Winehouse and Lily Allen. Um, I think Amy Winehouse did a cover of It's My Party, actually. And, you know, all the way through to, like, Kate, um, Kate Nash, people like that. Leslie Gore is kind of like that version of her of that type of singer that's sort of like wispy sort of uh, spill sector, kind of a cross, you know, kind of post Phil Spector, not Motown, sort of a white soul singer, but with a sort of nice little rock and roll jaunt to her as well. Kind of, you know, anything that uh, Zoe Deschanel does with she and him is sort of a result of like, kind of like that dusty Springfield sort of thing. Yeah. yeah. A Dusty Springfield thing with a little more pop. Thing. Yeah. Well, I, I, I would say that you, you've got, um, you know, the Judy's Turn to Cry and uh, It's My yeah. Party. Very, very poppy. But um, if she if, could be down. Well, well, that's what I'm saying. If if you go to uh, You Don't Own Me, now that's, oh, yeah. that's, that's when you get when you go, oh, well, hello. <laughs> so and uh, what was it? I, w- I was just looking up the cover art to her album. Uh, I'll cry if I want to, which is where it's my party comes from, and it's listed as the amazing seventeen-year-old Leslie Gore. So, yes, there you go. Teen artist, yes, yep. very much a teen artist. And I think she always said later in life that being sort of a teen rock, teen pop star sort of ruined her in the same way that it ruined people like Ricky Nelson and things like that. I mean, we talk about how hard it is now, but you know, I guess sort of in that vein of people that get a lot of fame and a lot of credibility at a young age. And she secluded herself for a while, too. She sort of just, you know, didn't do much. And then she put out an album a couple of years ago. Um, I think her and Petula Clark both put out albums in, like, the same year, which is kind of weird. But uh, a, a very sort of influential singer on a lot of female voices that we hear now. And, you know, people like Joan Jett, uh, even stuff like that. You know, even I would dare to say you can hear a little bit of her and people like uh, Janelle Monet and... Uh, Sharon Jones, you hear a lot of that. You hear a lot of her in there, too, sort of in that sense of rhythm and timing as well. And as I said at the top of the show, we haven't uh, gotten together in a while to do a podcast, so we probably owe it to you listeners to have a proper send-off of 2014. And while the year was generally kind of rubbish for a lot of folks, musically, it was pretty interesting and pretty exciting. Um, a lot of interesting records, a lot of new sounds, a lot of odd and bizarre things just sort of came out of nowhere that you thought you'd like, like the Flaming Lips doing a Beatles record, stuff like that all happened in 2014. So I thought we'd sort of look back at the year and kind of talk about what we liked musically, didn't like musically, tours, records, festivals, just anything that sort of pops into your head um, about 2014 uh, as a year in music. Do you want to go first, Tuffley? Oh, sure. Why not? Um, so I guess we could start kind of almost off-center with the, the Death From Above 1979 record. Oh, 
that no one knew was coming out. Yeah, no one knew was coming out because they had been touring. They had been doing reunion tours uh, here and there through in festivals, like you know, for 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 like three years or so. And the question would always come up: Are you guys recording anything? And they'd always say, "No, we're not doing a new album. We are absolutely, totally not doing a new album." And then this kind of came out of nowhere. So uh, that was fun. Uh, and I like those. Yeah. But the Death From Above record was great. Um, yeah, so, uh, so far, that's, that's, that's still my favorite of last year. It made uh, me very happy. Yeah, and, and the St. Vincent record was really, really good as well. Um, which actually, they've just, re- they've just released a deluxe version, which has like uh, six or seven more tracks on it. Uh, so if you haven't got record yet, you can get it now with the, with, uh, additional tracks on it. Um, but, uh, the, uh, the St. Vincent record was really nice. Um, I'll tell you what, the, uh, the Mac DeMarco record was interesting. Uh, Salad Days. Did you uh, like that? I, you know, I, I, I liked a lot of it. Um, uh, Passing Out Pieces was probably, uh, the, the, the most singly song on that record but but I, I kind of like that it was a bit trippy so i enjoyed that uh the war on drugs record was great i liked that um yeah that also made my list too yeah and and, and the jenny lewis record it was nice to have jenny lewis back so yeah, that's a really really good record too yeah the voyager was a really 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 good record and uh if you haven't gotten that yet you go out and get that um and, uh the bob bolt record uh beauty and ruin that was nice. Uh, and, and this, it kind of followed in the same vein as the Silver Age record uh, the year before. So, so really nice stuff from Bob Mould. And, um, what one else? of the nicer comebacks of the year, I think too. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I actually did uh, not, not a whole lot of, I didn't hear a whole lot about this, but the little dragon record kind of showed up and then promptly disappeared. But I thought it was really good. Uh, the Johnny Marr record. I, am I going to be stealing all of yours? Is no, that... I, I have a, I'm, no, you're fine. I haven't screamed okay. Agony yet, so you're fine. So the Johnny Marr record Playland, uh, which I thought was also, was also actually very interesting and very good. What else was I looking at? Uh, Chromio's White Women. Yes. Which, if you're looking for, and, and this may be something I may come back to, like when I take the wheel of this show again. Um, uh. but it's just a fun record. And... I've looked around, and there aren't that many fun records that come out anymore, and that was one of them. Yeah. Um, so, White Women, that was a really good record. Some people will, will accuse it of being too retro, but yeah. it's, it's, it's on the verge of being cheesy enough to be really, really fun. It and took just a while great... for me to get past the cheesy on it, because literally I heard the record, and I could feel the Miami Vice clothes coming through the speakers. Um, but they play, you know, and they play that up. You go see them live. It's like seeing Hall and Oates on crack. I mean, they yeah. totally play with that image completely. Yeah. And then they'll just do something like the salon, the song they do with Solange, just out of nowhere. Yeah. And uh, Lost on the Way Home, which is just brilliant, right yeah. in the middle of the record. And then the rest of it is just ridiculous over, over the top, which is yeah. great. And I love They're that. Fun. They're just lots of fun. So what have you got, sir? Um, I had a couple things. I, I kind of cheated, though, and pulled up my uh, my radio show top ten list and went through playlists to write stuff down. Because literally, with, you don't have to feel bad about this. There was so much stuff last year that it was impossible to keep track of everything. I mean, it was like literally every week something was coming around, even months when it was slow. So don't 
don't feel like you're behind the curve at all because I, I'm finding records from last year that I missed. Um, the Interpol record uh, that came out, El Pintor, is much better than probably their last two records. Um, I really uh, was pleasantly surprised by that, and it's an album that grows on you. Um, I love this band uh, called War Paint out of Los Angeles. Um, they're a lot of fun, and I know, Tuffley, you had mentioned um, the uh, War on Drugs album, which I just thought was spot on. I mean, that thing was just... And the thing that was interesting about War on Drugs is all their songs are at least five minutes long. So they keep, in a short attention span society, they keep everyone's attention, which I thought was great. Um, I also really loved um, Are We There, the record from Sharon Van Etten. Yeah. I thought that that was great. Um, I got this this record as an import, and I just kind of loved it all year. It's uh, the September Girls, Cursing the Sea. If you like the band Lush in any way, shape, or form, that's kind of what they sound like. It's like a contemporary version of Lush. Um, and I, I really like this band called Always, but it's spelt with two Vs, A-L-V-V-A-Y-S, kind of a small indie record, but it's just really catchy. Um, the thing I think we overlooked toughly before is that the Echo and the Bunningman album came out, uh, Meteorites. And... I don't know about you, but whenever I come to Bunnyman put out a new record, I'm like, okay, I'll listen to the first single because that will be the only thing that's good. And like the last four records, they've only had, it's like, okay, play the first track or the single and you're done because they haven't really been solid records. But this one is actually really amazing. I was kind of completely and utterly caught off guard by it. Um, actually, I, I think we mentioned this. We actually did kind of talk about this a bit on the last show with the James record when it came out. Yeah, I was going to talk about that. The James record was really, really good as well. Uh, which really surprised me. And the the other thing I think that is, is kind of interesting was the, the 90s are back. So a lot of these 90 bands are sort of making new records or people from the 90s. Damon Albarn made a record um, that was kind of interesting. And I we'll also... We'll come back up later. <laughs> yeah, we'll bring that up, yeah. And then the other thing I think is interesting is I liked the, um, the Roseanne Cash record was amazing. If you get a chance to go back and check that out, the last Roseanne Cash record is pretty amazing. Um, and uh, also I want to mention Caribou who have a new, uh, their new record Our Love it's sort of like a nice sort of down tempo electronic record that doesn't like fry you it's sort of it's the very nice sort of come down record after the Chromio if that makes sense you listen to the Chromio you dance you're exhausted but you don't want to go home you sit and you listen to the Caribou record <laughs> you like that huh yeah yeah okay and um, you know also Hello, Darlin. They're from England. Um, we came from the same place. It's just a fun record. They use a lot of steel guitars and weird sort of female harmonies. I like them a lot. And um, I, toughly, I freely admit this, um, I was not down with the Beck record when it came out. I just sort of say, yeah, it's a Beck record. Um, not because I don't like Beck, but he had done some of this, like, country-sounding stuff earlier for Third Man Records. Well, there's was, Sea Change. Yeah, and I was like, I, I didn't hate Sea Change, but I'm like, okay, this is what I'm going to get. So I kind of was really dismissive of the Beck record at first. And there was a lot of other indie stuff out. And then literally, um, by sheer will, you pounded it into my head that I had to listen to the Beck record. And then I did. And um, Well, you know, that wasn't even the Beck record I liked last year because he came out with the, uh, the, 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 the song reader compilation, too. Yeah, I was going to get to that, too. The song reader is probably one of the nicer compilations of the year. Which, uh, which I really like that actually better than Morning Phase. And the so. book, 
There's a song reader book that comes with that as well. Basically, what yeah. he did, he um, gave sheet music to a bunch of musicians and said, make a song, right? Pretty much. Isn't that how he did it? Well, he came out with the sheet music first. He had written yeah. the sheet music. He had basically published a book of sheet music uh, in, like, 2014. Yeah. And uh, so he put this out, and it was like, and it, then because by default it was, like, one of the very few new sheet musics that, that they'd published, it became, like, the top-selling, like, sheet music thing in, like, the last couple of years. So then he actually turned around, and I think this was while he was doing Morning Phase, because he likes to do this, but he, he, he was actually recording the compilation in Morning Phase at the same time. I think in addition to that, I think he, is, he also recorded bits of a record that he hasn't come out yet. So he's like working on like he was working on like three albums at a time. Isn't he? Because yeah. you were talking about his country stuff. Isn't he like? Wasn't it like Isaac Asimov who had had a book published in every section of the Dewey Decimal System at one point? Yes. So he's like yeah. the, he's like the musical Asimov. He's like, hmm. I'm surprised he hasn't like composed an opera or a uh, or, or like a symphony yet. You know, but I'm sure that's coming. Oh. He, he's working on so, that yeah, in his spare okay. time. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, um, but yeah, I really he like. Boy, though, this spring, so he's not working on anything this spring. We know that. No, no, no. Love, he'll I do love... that on the tour bus, Tuffley. <laughs> I mean, this is Beck. I don't. He's like he's like Mike Patton and Les Claypool. I don't think they sleep. The only difference with Beck is that he doesn't go out and form seven other bands unless, like Dean Koontz, he has all of these pseudonyms that we don't know about, and. Uh, <laughs> You know what it is? In, in, in the 22nd century, there's going to be a joke. If you've ever seen the, the thing about how Bob Dylan wrote every song, that, that joke video, there's going to be a one like that for Beck. Yeah. Well, you know, well, you know they had this thing. He had this thing a couple of years ago while he was working on the song reader that he would just randomly get, like, St. Vincent and, like, Faust and, you know, like some of the Sleater Kitty uh, folks, and he'd, like, cover stuff like the NXS album. He'd do, like... He'd cover Kick in its entirety and then just put it out on Bandcamp. Yeah. And it, I think he's one of those people that's always making records, which I think yeah. is interesting. Um, so I, I did like that. I love the fact, too, that it was just mopey and sad as well. So, And then a record I came to at the end of the year that everyone was raving about as well was the Angel Olsen record. Um, it's on Jag Jaguar. Um it's actually really funny because I had um, a session with Sharon Van Etten for my radio show, and she's like, what are you listening to? And I'm like, uh, and I told her, she says, oh, you should listen to the Angel Olsen record, and, and it's great. She's a great singer, and she has this amazing voice, and um, it's a really, really solid record. And I like the last Black Angels record as well, because I, I, I really think they're, they're something. So that is a small, minute Sampling. Oh, and the new, uh, I don't know if it came out last year or not, but the, yeah, it did. The, the Aphex Twin record, which we'll get to that in a little bit as well. Yes, uh, because he put something else out immediately at, at the turn of the new year. Yeah. So, um, yeah, the Aphex Twin. So, two Aphex Twin records. How did that happen? Although, it only took 15 years, but two of them. Okay. Well, you know, Widge has said his wife's Achilles heel is dubstep. Mine is, my wife's is Aphex Twin. <laughs> <laughs> you can only take that for so long, you know. But uh, yeah, I like that that quite a lot as well in there in there too. So that's kind of my quick list. And uh, I always love getting widgets because widgets will have all the stuff that I never heard of or missed. 
So, well, well I'm as as evidenced by the posts I've been doing on the site where I've been basically trawling through the year 2012 and just now posting <laughs> that shit. Oh, I'm oh, working in the book 2012. No, no, no. <laughs> 2012, the epic single journey. Yeah, I'm 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 doing the uh, I'm doing the deep cuts now, which is a long yeah. post. Um, so, but the 2014 stuff that I've already sampled that I really enjoy, apart from like I said, Physical World, which is currently my favorite album of the year because it just made it. It's literally like I would tell people that when you go when you look at something like Kaleidoscope, which Living Color put out when they reformed, it it was yeah. like it was like they picked up right where they left off. And just kept on going. But with Death From Above, with Physical World, it's almost like they were recording all these albums in between Physical World and their previous album that we just didn't get to see. It was just such a leap forward uh, of of concentrated noise and musicality that it just filled me with glee. So you're uh, saying I, it's like the Faulty Towers of Death From Above 1979 records. Well, <laughs> I, I didn't more. know it was coming out at all. <laughs> I literally got an email from someone at a label saying, here's the new Death From Above track. And then the first person I told was Witch. Um, because I figured he would be one of the only other people that would care. I, I, and, I think I responded with nothing but punctuation marks. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. And um, I actually was like, I can't listen to this until after Witch hears it. So I made it. <laughs> Because that's how guilty I felt. But no, it completely floors a lot of records that are out. Yeah. And, and, uh, and basically, because for those who don't know, I have a uh, – me becoming interested in a band is normally the kiss of death because by the time I find them, <laughs> they're on the verge of breaking up. So I remember – I can't remember which – may have been Toughly, Turn Me On a Death From Above. And I, I'm actually surprised Placebo is still around, to be honest, Toughly, because I love them. <laughs> They've actually broken up a couple of times. Okay, well, there you go. That's that's what it is. It's like that band, uh, what is it, uh, from Australia called, uh, I think it's Tism, that broke up after their first gig, and every gig they've done since then has been a reunion. Um, But but apart from from Death From Above, uh, I really like the Glitch Mob Love Death Immortality record. Yes. I thought it was good. Um, Also liked the uh, uh, Royksop Robin uh, Do It Again EP. I yeah, thought it had some really nice. good stuff on it. Um, I agree with you on Morning Phase. I thought it was great. Uh, I'll also throw, throw in um, uh, Alt-J's This Is All Yours, which uh, I quite enjoyed. It's, it's, not, uh, it's not their previous album, but then again, what is? Also, uh, I really, as much as I appreciated the, um, uh, what is it, Nothing's Changed, the David Bowie compilation, Yeah, um, the new yeah. single off of that, Sue, is... Awesome. That's a great song. Yes. Um, and uh, I'll also throw into the mix, uh, I discovered most recently Kate Tempest uh, with her album Everybody Down. Um, I think the single off of that is Circles, um, but she's a great uh, spoken word uh, rap artist from the UK. And uh, she actually did a, uh, a, a, you probably heard this, Rob, she did a guest spot while Giles Peterson was out and played a lot of really great stuff yes. on that show. So, uh, yes. and I'll also throw in for, for 2014, my, my music taste has been shaped by Rob's nefarious plan, um, to get, it was not nefarious. To get me, did not mean to. 
to get me hooked on BBC Six Music. And every time I bring, he's going to do it. Watch, he's going to do it. Every time I bring it up, he, oh, well, there's this other show on there you should listen to about, oh, there's another three hours of my life completely gone. So, but, uh, but yeah, so that's, that's what I've been, uh, doing to try to keep current as I'm also trawling through, uh, well, I'm, I'm giving the results of 2012 and I'm currently, uh, about 3,600 songs into 2013. I think I'm in the seas. I, I, why do I do this to myself? I don't know. I'm a masochist. I was going to no, say, I, to, you know, for the record, I didn't mean to do that to you with the, uh, <laughs> rating of six. It's just literally there are, you know. Well, I was really excited. Oh, Craig Charles has a, has a radio show. Wait, and hang then, on, I'll do it. Jarvis Cocker comes back in March. Um. <laughs> okay, see, the problem with Jarvis Cocker is, the problem with Jarvis Cocker is, he can't possibly be Iggy Pop. That's all I'm saying. He can't, but it, it's, no. it's a different vibe. I know it's a different vibe, but I just want, I want for, for those of you who don't know, Iggy Pop was, was while Jarvis Cocker was away, hosted his, his space, and that's how Rob got me started was, hey, you know, you know Iggy Pop hosts a radio show. I'm like, what? And uh, it was absolutely amazing. And, yeah, from there it was Giles Peterson, and then it was Craig Charles, and then on the last podcast yes, I'm sorry. Don Letts, and then I'm like, oh, God. I'm sorry. See, and you completely, you completely missed the Phil Jupiter show. I'm just saying. Oh, God. Yeah, well. And I don't, you know, what I do, and I listen to Steve Lamock every day, so I don't even subject you to that yet. And, yet. See that? See that, listeners? Do you hear that? I oh, see that. Yes. You're not watching. Can you hear that? Yet. It's nefarious. So you no, it's like um, Radio 6, and I, I don't even resent them because, you know, I got a rejection letter from them. Um, I'm okay with that. But, you know, they do lots of really – Great fun programming, and you, oh, never mind. I'll tell you offline, which um, see, hey, listen, listeners. There's somebody else who does a show, but I, I, I don't oh. want to tell you. He wants there to be no. He wants there to be no evidence. Fine, Frank Skinner does a really great radio show as oh, well. Oh shit! And That's my new addiction. Fuck. You th- hey, you know what happens. Your wife and my wife are going to sit around one day and talk about how Radio 6 ruins their life. That's what's going to happen. No, no, no. Cosette loves the Craig Charles show, and she loves Peggy oh, Pop. So, Yeah, yeah, and I was in the same boat, and it's kind of like, that's the guy from Red Dwarf? Yes, that's the guy from Red Dwarf. And I have to say, Craig Charles has, like, impeccably great taste because, you know, there's so much with rock music. There's so much to choose and pick from. There really is. You're just the hit of the week or whatever, right? But to go through and pick these really great old school soul and funk records there's stuff in there i have no idea what the hell that is or where it came from i know peterson right just the 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 enjoyment of listening to those shows which is in the 2014 or 2015 segment kids or 2014 segment kids because it had such a play in in sort of what we listen to as a gestalt um the selection of the music is the art um with the giles peterson and the craig charles show the iggy pop show was sort of the folksy presentation and the, you know, I'm going to play a song by John Coltrane followed by a song by Nina Hagen and then talk to you how they went to get coffee followed by the famous sentence, and that's all I know about that. Uh, <laughs> Jarvis, Caucus, Jarvis Cocker likes to build a narrative yeah, so, which starts somewhere with a circus performer in the 40s and <laughs> yes. includes Joni Mitchell and we don't know why until we get to the end of it. <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> but uh, so just to give, to give you a little background, Iggy Pop basically got that gig because Jarvis Cocker reformed Pulp and did some touring and some stuff and uh, was gone for a while. So then they gave the show to Iggy Pop to fill in. And I wouldn't want to come back after Iggy Pop doing it. I mean, I'm, I haven't listened to Jarvis since he's been back because I can't, you know. Uh, he did. He did one show. He did the New Year's show, and now uh, there's. They actually. I forget who was doing it in the meantime. I think they had. Oh, I think, some. Oh crap! I, I think Joan Jett did one, and then and then they've had yeah. somebody else as a regular as a regular host. Yeah. Um, but you know, if you listen to like the Henry Rollins show, or if you listen to the Little Stephen show, you'll love that stuff. Um, and Giles Peterson, you know. I fell prey to, oh, he's just going to play all dance records. No, 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 no. If you want to know what a pop record from Laos sounded like in 1975, that is the show for you. Um, it's just it's just insane. It's I, I love the job. I mean, the Giles Peterson show is also incredible. So, um, yeah. And we like to mention, too, that we are in no way being paid for these glowing endorsements of, uh, of this. But it's kind of radio like it should be. As well, I think, you know, what's wrong with hearing a John Coltrane record on the radio than a guy talking about why he likes it? You know, um, I think it's great. So, yeah, we, we, we wouldn't accept payment, but we'd take a show. We'd be fine with taking a show. Oh, hell yes. Yes, we would. And, and since they're coming over here and, and getting shows on XM, I mean, it's only fair. Yeah, that is true. Oh, it's uh, John Cooper Clark who's been filling in uh, yeah. the, the poet uh, and performer. Yeah. Yeah, I've not listened to that yet. So, he, but he, he looks like he looks like the uh, the great uncle of the Ramones, basically. If you've seen him on any panel shows, he is <laughs> he is a hoot and a half. He has an English treasure too. He's he's an acquired taste. But but I found it very easy to acquire. I did too, but I mean, from just in terms of the average person. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I'm waiting for him to do a spoken work record with Tom Waits or something. I'm just in my perfect world. That's what I want. Nice. But, yeah, and then David Lynch can do the video. Or no, actually, um, Jim Jarmusch could do the video. With, with, one, with guest vocals on one track by Ken Nordine. Yes. So, um, but getting back to actual records, is there anything else? That's sort of... <laughs> no, that was, that was it for me. I'm sure, I'm sure uh, I will uh, have a full list of my 2014 favorites for you yeah. sometime in 2019 uh, in the 211th episode of the show. But it's almost toughly like the year was made for Widge because he got a Death from Above record. There was a new Living Color record. They announced a new Faith No More record. And then he also got a new Primus record. It's like, oh, and Les Claypool made two records. So it's almost like the year had these little marks for Widge in them throughout the year. Yes. I just sort of, uh, you know, jumped up and down with glee and then uh, tried to find the album so I could listen to it. Yeah, the death, again, the Death from Above record, kids, um, it's pretty great. So that's kind of our look at where we are with 2014. Is there anything in 2015 that is sort of... Oh, interesting. Because I got to tell you, Tuffley, 2015 came out swinging. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we can talk about... Uh, what was I going to talk about? Want me to start? I got a list. Go ahead. Um, I'm going to start with the, the two big obviouses, the sort of the left and the right punch. Uh, the new Bell and Sebastian record, uh, Girls in Wartime Like to Dance, 
it's a little bit more sophisticated, focused sound for Bell and Sebastian. Um, and well, then, they went the one place you didn't expect them to go. Yeah. <laughs> after well, they, after after the litany of the the Bell and Sebastian and God help the girl, and honestly, after the whole God help the girl thing, yeah, it, this was actually a nice departure from that. And they they've experimented with some dancey stuff in some of their other records. Yeah. To, to this extent. Um, but it totally works for them. Uh, so the Donald Sebastian record is great. And after nine years, there's a new Sleater Kinney record, which when I heard, and again, that's sort of a thing that's like Sleater Kinney just announced that there's a record. Oh, and it's done. You know, talk about something that came out that's sort of completely under the radar, at yeah, least for me. Like, that was like two months. It was like yeah. they did, uh, they did a couple of shows with Pearl Jam over the summer. And then you started to hear, okay, wild flags, not wild flags done. And then, and then the next thing you know, oh yeah, it's a Sleater Kinney record, which was nice. It was like, oh wow, there's a Sleater Kinney record, yeah. Um, and after nine years, they're back and they're touring, and every night they're doing a different set list, which is also pretty great. Um, there's a band from Pennsylvania I like a lot called The Districts. Um, their album's called a a flourish and a spoil. Uh, it's quite nice. And also, Will Butler from Arcade Fire has a solo record out called Policy, that uh, I also like as well. And that's kind of where I'm at right now. There's there's a lot more stuff coming down the pipe that's out, but that's kind of a good start. Um, so I suppose I could start with, well, I guess it came out at the end of last year, but we're going to go ahead and throw it into 2015. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about the D'Angelo album, because that is some great shit. Um, See, I haven't heard it yet. I just saw the live stuff. I haven't even listened what to I, it yet. What I've heard off of that is quite good, actually, yeah. That is that is the record because D'Angelo made a couple of records after his first one where people were just, like, not sure what... It, it didn't sound... It didn't have the same sound. He was sort of experimenting. And then this really feels like act, the actual second album. This actually yeah. feels like the follow-up to the first record. Uh, but, but this is nice. And again, a surprise release because nobody knew this was coming. Like no one knew this was coming. And, uh, this, this just happened in kind of like the last two weeks of the year. Oh yeah. D'Angelo. Okay. One of those guys that's always had a great voice. That's always sort of been around that probably has been underappreciated for years. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, Black Messiah is the name of the record, and apparently it hasn't gotten enough love yet, even though it's been out and everybody loves the crap out of it. So if you don't have it, you should get that one, uh, because that is really, really nice. And um, he'll be doing festivals, so check that out. Um, Noel Gallagher has an album coming out uh, that uh, has a lot of of really good stuff on it. Johnny Marr is playing guitar on a couple of the tracks. Uh, which is uh, which is the High Flying Birds? Which uh, one is this? Uh, this is the High Flying Birds record that's coming out. Oh, okay, that's what I thought you were talking about. If I wanted to make sure, okay, yeah, 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 it's the High Flying Birds record. Uh, it's not out here yet. It will be out next month here. I think it just came out in Eng- in the UK. Yeah, I think it might have just released there, but the singles have been out for a while. Um, Battle of the Mighty Eye is the one I think that's making the rounds now that Johnny Marr uh, plays guitar on. Uh, which is really nice. The Mark Ronson record um, was actually a little better than I thought it was going to be, with, uh, with, with, uh, especially w- when you lead off with a uh, Bruno Mars track. But, uh, yeah, it's, it, uh, the, uh, the Uptown record is actually uh, 
better than I thought it was going to be. I was afraid with the Bruno Mars single it was going to be really, really bad. But it's actually quite good. And um, the, 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 it's uh, the guy from uh, Tame Impala. Oh, okay. Uh, does, is on like three tracks. Uh, yeah. And Stevie Wonder's on a couple of tracks. So that's enough. That's enough for me. I'll take yeah. that. In kind of a weird, kind of a folky sort of way, there's a, a Father John Misty record out. That's really, really good. Yeah, yeah. And it I'm took... kind of new to him. I didn't really hear much of the last record, but yeah. I have a friend of mine just keeps nagging me and nagging me that I had to listen to it. And in a way, his voice and the way he sings with his melodies, it almost sounds like a Glenn... There's a lot of similarities to like some Glenn Campbell records and sort of the poppiness and the lightness to what he does. But it's well, pretty dark. It's pretty dark. If you pay attention to the lyrics, because it sounds like yeah. very... He starts off, a lot of it's very acoustic, some of it's somewhat country, but a lot of it's very acoustic on this record, and it sounds, you know, it sounds kind of like if you're not half paying attention, you're like, oh, is this James Taylor? And then you, yeah. they, start into, they start into, you know, um, a wedding dress that someone was probably murdered in. Um, <laughs> <laughs> lyrics like that, it's sort of like, okay, I can handle this. Uh, so uh, the John, uh, the Father John Misty record uh, is is rather interesting, and uh, the modest Ra- the modest mouse record is coming, uh, which is kind of, again kind of surprising considering that I didn't think they were going to actually ever come out with this. But um, but uh, the the singles that are have been out so far, I think I like Coyotes better than Lampshades on Fire. Uh, I know they have another track out from that, but uh, that's coming soon. There was something else I'm missing. I mean, I like, uh, I like a lot of, there's a couple of, like, the Ice Age record I really liked. Yeah. Um, Gang of Four has a record coming out next month. Yeah, they're touring. Uh, they're touring. And I don't know if Alison Mosshart's the vocalist on the entire album. No, it's My, just one track. Well, actually, there are two. Um, there's two? Yeah, there's an England one and another one, but I've heard the second England one. England in My Bones, and I actually jammed the second one. Uh, okay. So if you go back on my, uh, this is my jam timeline that's on there but uh allison mossart from the kills and occasionally the dead weather uh, does two of those tracks and it's really good um and then there's uh django django just put out uh, a single from their uh upcoming record which doesn't have a name yet but it's out uh, in the summer so that'll be interesting and yeah. uh, uh the, the new wombats records coming the out new too. Wombat records coming out glitter bugs out in april uh, I, Greek Tragedy is the single that's out now. Um, actually, some of you may get emoticons because that went out through iTunes a little while ago, but I think Greek Tragedy is still the single. Let's see, what else? Oh, yeah, the other thing that kind of got eclipsed by the Blur announcement uh, today as we record this. Passion Pit has a new record coming out. They just put the single out. Um, and the Passion Pit record will be out in April, too. So April's starting to get pretty stacked, basically. Yeah. So, um, but uh, I'm not, I didn't get a date on the Blur record yet. Uh, and Blur also put something out, uh, a single out, as we record this on this very day. Uh, that uh, the first Blur, the first Honest to God Blur album in like 12 years is coming out. So, nobody thought that was going to happen. So, uh, and the single is called Go Out. Uh, and the album's called yeah. The Magic Whip. And like I said, I don't know when that's coming out, but I think it's June, maybe. And a Florence and the Machine record got announced. I don't know. Yeah, and a Florence and the Machine record got announced for June, and there's a single out for that called "What Kind of Man." It's 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 starting to stack up, folks. 
Uh, well, Wait, did you have anything? Yeah, the only thing I'll add to all of that is that uh, <laughs> I just found – no, no, I mean there's, uh, there's stuff in there that I'm going, yep, 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 that's good, that's good. Uh, is the, the Natalie Press um, self-titled album. Uh, I have that. Should I listen to it? Uh, well, see, the, um, uh, the, the opening track, My Baby Don't Understand Me, is yeah. awesome. Uh, that is – Probably that that is. Pro- I don't know if it's a single or not, but it's definitely going to wind up on something for my uh, 2015 list, which will be yeah. released in 2021. 20, uh, um, but uh, God damn, it's really good. I, I heard that on one of the BBC Six shows, and then had to go find the album, and that was put out in January. And that that opening track is just yeah. it'll it'll blister your heart. Oh, and we did. Oh, I forgot to mention the Bjork record. Oh. Which is really weird, but parts of it are really good. Yeah, yeah. Bjork's breakup record. Wow. You know, that's okay. Because no <laughs> one should date anybody who makes movies on petroleum jelly. What? Matthew, Matthew Barney, his films all have like that sort of weird... Never mind. Um... <laughs> He has, like, petroleum jellies a running theme in a lot of his movies. Okay. Yes. He's an odd guy. I, I gathered that. I mean, you should, you should be on to the fact that he's a weird guy when Rox and I both think he's a weird guy. Well, here's the question, though. Would, would, he, would, would he be admitted into Blitz? Probably. Okay, well, there you go. Yes. He's truly odd and strange. So that's our kind of look at 2015, um, musically. Now, there's a ton of tours, too. I know, Tuffley, we talked about Gang of Fours touring, uh, which is great. A lot, of, a lot of sort of reunion tours. I think James is going to do a small tour and come over here. Uh, uh, Faith No More's first American dates in quite some time will be happening yeah. this summer. And, and can I say, and can I say Tuffley, uh, for Wait. the record, no dates near here. No well, they're adding dates at the end of the tour, more dates in America. They're going to add like 20, 30 more dates. They're right. also, which they're also doing festivals. So we have four now major festivals. Yeah. It, it now, so I'm guessing, I'm guessing at least, if not, well, Counterpoint's already been announced. But I'm guessing uh, Music Midtown has not. Um, and um, I believe uh, the Centennial Park thing hasn't been announced yet. So. They, don't be surprised if they don't if they show up on one of those. Well, I'm just saying for right now, I would like to quote the title of their first single, "Motherfucker," because <laughs> I've never seen them live, and there are few bands that I would get my old ass out of the house and go see. And uh, I have not seen them live. I've saw the old with the old lineup, but not. Wow. Yeah, I know. But uh, I'm also excited because this is the year everything's turning 30. So, like, the church are touring. They have a new record out, but they're, they're touring to celebrate their 30th anniversary of Starfish and some other stuff. Um, toughly, I'm, I'm, I'm going to, besides seeing Gang of Four, I'm all set to go see the Jesus and Mary Chain. Yeah, are they only doing the first record? Is that what they're, is that what this tour is? Uh, nobody really knows. It looks like they're going to do the first record, then the encore is probably all hits. Is, okay. Is, is what it seems like. But no one really knows. They haven't really. They do have a new album coming out. Yeah, and then Jim Reed also has a solo record coming out. Yeah, Um, and there's also a new ministry tour as well, and a new ministry record coming out. 
So, and a new and chili know, peppers. And I know Peter Hook and the Light are touring. And I don't know, I know they're doing, I, I don't know which Joy Division record they're doing. They're, they're, they're going back and forth between a Joy Division, they're, they're doing two night stands in cities and they're playing a Joy Division record one night. Yeah. And doing a New Order record the next night or something like that. It's, it's, very, exactly, it's a very interesting tour. Yeah. I'm not exactly thrilled about him doing Joy Division stuff. But we also, too, should mention there's a new New Order record, too. The first New Order record without anything at all on it from Peter Hook. And that'll be interesting to see how that sounds. Unless, yeah, and that'll happen supposedly in the fall, unless... You know, he does some. Peter Hook does something silly like sue them to prevent them from using the name. And uh, an accident for that. Yeah. <laughs> now the other thing too, we should warn the, the good kind people that might be listening to our podcast from Delaware, uh, because Morrissey has just agreed to play a festival there. Uh, so if you're going to see him play the Firefly Festival in Delaware, I'd wait because it's Morrissey and he books Let's- a lot of shows, but never actually plays them. So, Let's put it this way. If you're going to Firefly, go to Firefly with a list of bands you want to see and maybe hope for Morrissey as a bonus. Now, Don't expect him to be there. Now, wait a second. To be fair, I thought Morrissey just had something against Tuffley personally. Well, who does? No, no, no. Oh, God, no. <laughs> so it's, it's not just you. Okay, all right. It's not just me. It's not just me. It's Cause, fine. Because you, you've taken it very personally. I, I you just, know, I'm taking it very personally. You know, I, I, I should follow in the tradition of actually, you know, Morrissey by sending him letters. Written <laughs> lettuce. Oh. <laughs> written, on, written on dried lettuce. Uh, written, written, no, written on dried out parchments that took, you know, three years to make, the handmade parchments. I would, Tuffley, let me just say, if you decided to send a series of letters to Morrissey... <laughs> I, I, all I want is the right, the, the first right of refusal to publish it. My letters to Morrissey by Tuffley. I think that would be a great, think, that be yes. a coffee table book. I would love that. Yeah, you should do it. But those are some of the things to look forward to in uh, 2015. Not the Morrissey letters. That's not no. Oh, well, I'm looking forward to that. But yes. okay. I, I'm looking forward to it anyway. Oh, now I'm going to get an advance for that. Yeah. And this is, of course, Tuffley's favorite part of the, of the uh, podcast during the year because we get to talk about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Um, and this year's list of inductees are uh, kind of interesting. Uh, the aforementioned Ringo Starr by himself, uh, which is interesting. Uh, Stevie Ray Vaughan. Uh, Bill Withers. I'm really excited that Bill Withers is in. Joan Jett and the Blackhearts. Lou Reed. Paul Butterfield Band. Um, the Five Royals, and Green Day. So that's who's in this year. Um, thoughts? It's too early for Green Day. Yes. It just, it just is. I don't care when the first actual record they sold out of their trunk came out. It's too early for them. It yeah. just is. Yeah. I, I'm with you on the Green Day. I'm also kind of irritated that you know the rock and roll hall of fame is sort of looks at it's almost a popularity thing but there's a lot of really interesting musicians that aren't in it yet and i almost wish that they get to all the pre-war and post-war people first 
yeah. before they start going to the 80s and the 90s, you know. Well, I don't mind putting, like, it, the Beastie Boys in, because you could argue that the legacy of the Beastie Boys is more impactful than that of Green Day. Yeah. Uh, I don't necessarily mind that. Um, but again... Come on. There's a well, lot think, of interesting people that aren't in this thing yet. Well, I think an interesting thing happened in this year's ballot in particular because Kraft, both Kraftwerk and Nine Inch Nails were on it at the same time. Yeah. And what I think happened is the people who were voting decided that Nine Inch Nails shouldn't be in until Kraftwerk is. And yes. it sort of negated, negated voting for either one. Yeah. If that makes any sense. No, it, it does. does. It does. And 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 that logic is only applied. It's very odd on the voting logic. Yes. Uh, and um, although to give to give them a little credit, they did dodge the Smiths bullet because they don't have to worry about it this year. So yeah, they don't, ha- they don't have to worry about it this year, and they're getting Lou Reed in. So you know that should have happened a long time ago. It should have happened a while back. Um, I know uh, uh, Velvet Underground's already in, so technically he's already there with them. But and Ringo's you know, the last Beatle. Ringo is the last Beatle, and technically he's not actually being inducted via a vote. He's being inducted via a special achievement award. <laughs> wow. Which, which, this is the same award, if I'm not mistaken, that they gave to the E Street Band last year. Yeah. Um, Technically, after the fact, and technically because Kiss decided they weren't going to perform, so yeah. they needed they needed Bruce in the E Street, and the only way they were going to do that is to uh, induct E Street because yeah. they forgot to do it when they uh, when they inducted Bruce a couple of years back. Yeah. So um, I've noticed uh, in the induction now because a lot of the articles have been corrected. In the induction now, they mention uh, that Double Trouble is also going in with Stevie Ray Vaughan. Oh, yeah, that's good. Um, you know, I'm kind of excited, too, that you're seeing a little bit of the blues getting in this year. Paul Butterfield, not necessarily my thing, but and Steve Ray Vaughan, not also kind of not my thing, but I'm, I'm totally great with, like, blues guys going in, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, because it paves the way for other people. Yeah. And Bill and Withers, come on, he's fucking Bill Withers. I know, exactly. So, I mean, there's no problem with Bill Withers going in there. Some amazing stuff. So, again... You know, I'm like, listen, if if Green Day go, if if Green Day going in means that we get some of these other folks in, like Bill Withers, I'm like, all right, I'll give you Green Day. We got Bill Withers. I'm all right with that. I can live with that. I'm just saying, Soundgarden, Soundgarden's been eligible. I'm just saying. Well, if they needed to go there, you know, they could do Soundgarden. They could do because I'm, I'm sure if you think about it in sequence, this is the year after Nirvana gets in, right? Yeah. So the year after Nirvana gets in, we immediately yeah. go to Green Day, thereby skipping grunge in its entirety. Well, again, it'll be one of those things we, we come back and fill in. So, well, no, that's not necessarily. Yeah. There's some of those. Well, that's not necessarily true though, because we're still waiting on the '80s alternative bands. Because the Cure's not in, Joy Division's not in, uh, the Replacements yeah, aren't we'll in. Get to that in a little bit. So, so, you know, I don't know if that that's necessarily the case. But here's the thing: even with the '90s, it gets sparse. Like the really great artists get really sparse after like the early '90s. Well, 
have you seen next year's eligibility list is pretty interesting. I mean, there's crap like Alanis Morissette and Boys the Men and Brooks and Dunn. Is Alanis available yet? Yeah, but like next year, Tupac is eligible, Aphex Twin, Catherine Wheel, the Crash Test Dummies. Hello. Uh, Oasis. EMF. Why is EMF on the ballot? Why is EMF on the fucking ballot to get into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Frankie Knuckles, another guy who should go in just for what he did for DJs and house music, but, you know, he won't get it live, really. You're going to put live in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Um, Well, now, is this, to be fair, is this just they're eligible? These are eligible, eligible, yes. Okay, so, so, you know, you can't... But there are bands that are eligible that don't make it this far. So you get eligible, and then they weed, there's a pairing down of that. Oh, okay. So this is sort of like round two where they just stamp. So, So, like, so, like, Mariah Carey is available next year. Ugly Kid Joe, uh, Stereo Lab, uh, Pearl Jam. Which, uh, are, are Dre and Snoop both eligible? Because, no. Well, no, because Dre's first single had Snoop on it. Yeah, but I don't know if they're counting that. But Oh, Bikini Kill's eligible next year, too. So yeah. Well, see, my logic for that is they counted the Green Day thing that they sold out of a trunk. So, yeah, I, I would think I would think Dre's prob- Dre and Snoop are probably, which is actually funny, which I actually do think if they're going to induct, Dre and Snoop should go in at the same year. Yeah, <laughs> but my, my guess is that they'll, they're going to put in Pearl Jam and Tupac next year, probably. And then they'll grandfather in some other people that, that haven't been put in and maybe Paul Weller because of the jam. Um, well, you, you know who else is eligible this starting this year? No, is Vanilla Ice? Yeah, that's not happening. <laughs> I'm just saying, as long as we're talking about eligible eligibility, right. eligible. Oh my God, you're right. That frightens me. Well, you know, uh, Suge, also you know, we can we can give Sugar Producers Award um, from his jail cell. Uh, um, uh, Ricky Martin's eligible. Oh my God, this is like. This is hell. You know, technically, <laughs> no, 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 no. If we're going to go there, if we're going to go there, Menudo was eligible a long time ago, Rob. Uh, but, oh, which which lineup of Menudo, though, Tuffley? Great. Oh, my God. Putting Menudo in. That's like, yes. That's like, yes. It's like everybody can actually get up. Well, Menudo Literally and everybody. Menudo and the Cure present the same problem in that how do you put them in, you know? Um, Although I would love to see a Menudo and Cure jam session together. Uh, I'd like to the, see them, you know, the year, the year, because they've been talking about this. The year they finally put the monkeys in, yeah. they should give it to Menudo too. Get all the prefab bands in there. Now, but now it's, it's all to of be them. Fair to be fair, the monkeys became kind of a postfab band afterwards. Yeah, that is true. That is true. Although, if you want to go there, technically the Sex Pistols were a prefab band too. So yeah. That is true. So, but it's it, again, it's our fascinating look at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Who deserves to be in? Who doesn't? I'm I'm fine with all of these. The only thing that scares me is Green Day. Um, I'm fine with Joan Jett going in, but it, I'm sort of fascinated that Joan Jett went in before the Runaways, which was kind of interesting. Well, that's the thing she even said. She even said that she wouldn't be surprised if they couldn't get the other Runaways in at some point. But they still should. I mean, it's, uh, especially it's, since especially since Kim Fowley passed. I mean, how do you put in you know like Blondie who doesn't talk to the people, all the people in the band anymore, or the Cars and stuff? Like, how do you get all these people in? I mean, they sort of back themselves into a corner now where they almost have to take the full band 
in its sort of original lineup or its peak lineup. You know, you for know, example, if you're putting Faith No More in, you don't put you put the Mike Patton Faith No More in. You don't put the previous Faith No More in. You know, um, it's 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 getting kind of weird. You know, well, here's here's the weird awkwardness now because Kim Gordon has her book out. Uh, yes. And then we get to Sonic, maybe Sonic Youth being because Sonic Youth's already been eligible, and I'm afraid this is going to attempt to happen when they all hate each other. Um, yeah. Well, the trick is uh, the Runaways need to. Uh, uh, it's obvious that having a film about you doesn't work. Um, they need to just have a Broadway musical come out. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I I I can picture. I can actually picture a show with Cherry Bomb as the centerpiece. Yeah, part of it was Guardians of the Galaxy. So, <laughs> and because it's Disney, there will be a stage musical of that too. So there you yeah, go. Yeah. Oh, God, stop. What? What I do? Oh, stage musical with Guardians of the Galaxy. Don't frighten me. That- Third base is eligible next year. So again, the it's it's an interesting. <laughs> it's an interesting. Somebody at home. Somebody at home. Somebody listening at home right now will have a perfectly reasonable argument. Why third base should be in? I will listen to them, but then I'll get the gas <laughs> Oh, pop goes the weasel. Um, here is the here's one of the signs of the apocalypse as well, gentlemen. Um, for some insane reason, Joan Osborne will be eligible for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which is just ludicrous. You know, I mean, I can even see the argument for putting boys to men in. If you're if you're going by hits, you know, but I wouldn't put them in. So well, see, even with boys to men, now there's only three of them. Yeah. So does the other one come back? It's just two men and no boys. <laughs> you know, I'm gonna start my uh, I'm gonna start my campaign now to get a heavy D in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. You know what? Uh, Def Leppard, folks, they're eligible and available and actually still together. But you could, argue, you could argue that Def Leppard goes in, though. I mean, I'm not absolutely. saying absolutely. I will absolutely have a very good argument for Def Leppard. I mean, there's there's some of these things that you initially may dismiss as like you know we may think oh these guys don't get, but then you stop and you think about it. You know, I'm willing to do that. I'm willing to sort of look at a, look at an artist and go, okay, I don't like their records or whatever, but I'm willing to give that to you know Pearl Jam. I haven't really loved a Pearl Jam album, but I totally get why they're eligible to go in. You know? Although, although I have to be fair, though, if we're gonna make, if I'm gonna make a case for Def Leppard, that can't happen until Cheap Trick gets in. No, Cheap Trick totally should be in. Power Pop, you you have to start with Cheap Trick. That has to go in. Yeah, I mean, Cheap Trick just, I mean, it's stupid that they're well, they are kind of a cult band, but that doesn't mean they shouldn't go in. It's just, and I think I think now that you put Rush in, that opens the door for Cheap Trick because they're both similar in that they have. Cities they go to where they're pockets of, of yeah. fans, and some cities they do really well, some cities they don't. They, you know, and they both are these sort of like working class bands that basically have been around forever, just hauling ass and doing it sort of on on their terms. So I, I'm fine with that uh, as well. Um, but it's it's going to be interesting to see how this shakes out and how it goes down and who they put in, who they don't put in. Um, and where that goes, you know, and I haven't even looked at like producers and all that stuff yet that goes in because there's some of those guys that need to go in as well. Uh, so, again, it's the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. It's a fascinatingly strange conundrum 
to uh, to look at and uh, and visit. Wiz, do you have anything to add on this? Uh, no, except that uh, Kid Rock is now eligible for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. <sighs> Actually, I don't think they should induct Kid Rock, but the little guy that used to be with him, they should totally put him in. Yes. He can, he can, fact, he can be like a mini Ringo they can Starr. Put him in, they can put him in posthumously, because I know he passed, but still. Oh, um, they can't. The, the, the little guy that was with uh, Kid Rock. He should go in, but not Kid Rock. And, and, uh, and next year, uh, Mark Wahlberg becomes eligible for the... Well, Marky uh, Mark's eligible next year. Marky Mark and the Funk. That, yeah. That's what I'm saying. What, what, what well, maybe that's, maybe the... that's the year he gets pardoned. Sure. Not by me. <laughs> and uh, and one last one, uh, just to see if, if I can make Rob make a noise. Um, PM Dawn, uh, eligible next year. There you go, folks. No, 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 that's not my... I mean, Christina Applegate will be happy about that. Well, here's the thing. PM Dawn, though, had a pretty interesting career before they broke as a band, sort of as producers and DJs. So that they have sort of, and since the band, they kind of do other things than do PM Dawn. So there is at least, I mean, there's a lot of people that do things behind the scenes. Like Sir Mixlot, for example, everyone thinks he just does Baby, Baby Got Back, but he's, he owns a recording studio and he helps a lot of bands and artists and musicians find their way. And I think that there's a lot of artists that sort of do a lot more behind the scenes thing after they realize that maybe being a, a big selling album person isn't their thing. I don't necessarily think that shouldn't be rewarded, but I think, you know, I'd rather put PM Dawn in than Green Day, which, uh, and that's just the fact that Green Day blew up and was more everywhere than ever to the point that it annoyed me to hell. Um, so, yeah. Well, there you go. That backfired. Oh, hold on a minute. <laughs> I just remembered something. What? PM Dawn sampled a Spandau Ballet song, didn't they? Yes. Fuck them. <laughs> Hey, it comes back around. Wait, wait, Rob, that is true. <sighs> yeah. Sorry, I was set adrift on memory bliss there. I forgot about that. I thought I was going to... Oh, have... Christina Applegate, the uh, operator who's standing by. You know, and you got to wonder, too, why Tribe Called Quest should be in. You know, there's a lot of interesting bands sort of in that sort of vein that could be eligible, you know. Uh, Tribe Called Quest, De La Soul, um, yeah. you know... Cool Herc, be, cool Herc should have been in. You know. it, it's 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 kind of interesting. And again, what they're doing with some some of the some of the rap hip hop stuff, um, it's interesting. So, so you're telling me you're going to go straight from like Public Enemy straight into like, you know, Biggie and, and Tupac. You're going to skip an entire. I don't think so because I think they're going to put they'll put Tupac in, and I think they'll put uh, eventually. I think NWA will get in. Either as individual, they might put Cube and Dre in separate. Um, but they'll, the, the, uh, have they put in Run DMC yet? Yeah, they did put yeah. Run DMC in. So the, the, there's still a lot of guys like Cool Herc and a lot of, I don't think Cool Monkey's in. Um, yeah, because they basically put uh, Grandmaster Flash. Yeah. Put in, uh, they put in. Um, Biz Markey's not in, for example. Yeah. So there's a lot of those guys they can still put in, and there's an awful lot of great producers um, that they can put in as well. Yeah, I'm wondering if they're taking their time on Rick Rubin. Yeah, they might be. Yeah. 
And uh, Insane Clown Posse, that's 2017. Yes, you have, you have to actually acknowledge that they are a, a band first. <laughs> which, which technically the FBI does not. So, <laughs> Is that part of the eligibility? They actually identify them as a criminal organization, not a band. Wait, hang on. <laughs> Let me check the FBI Spotify list. Nope, they're not well, on there. What is Gore eligible? Because Gore should go in. Oh. Um, that'd be great. And I know the singer's dead, so they could put Iggy Pop in front of Gore. Oh, my God. Are they already eligible? Hang on. I'm looking. Okay. I think Kraftwerk should go in, too. Um, I think Gore is. Hang on. Technically. technically. I think Kraftwerk needs to go in, really. Um they, they, yeah, uh, Gore is already eligible. That's uh, what I thought. They could put in, see, the, and, you know, John Anderson from Yes could almost be eligible on his own, too. I mean, there's a lot of sort of these fascinating bits and pieces things of how they can do it. I mean, I'd put in, in, in my world, I'd put in Bikini Kill because they paved the way for an entire movement, sort of. If you put in Joan Jett, you know, Bikini Kill, not that far of a reach, kids. So, yeah, that's true. Although, if they do actually finally get around to inducting Yes, doesn't that technically make the Buggles also in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? To a certain extent, the, yes. The Buggles? Because, because, no, no, because they the, they were in the 80s lineup of Yes. The two guys in the Buggles were in the 80s oh, lineup oh, of Yes. For, I'm sorry, for a second I thought, I, for, you, you, Jesus, my I mind could, yeah, no, 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 my mind confused Buggles with Buggaloos, and I thought, that was you talk about prefab. That that wasn't even a real band. They were well, insects. I would love it if they put the ruddles in, but that's oh. just me. But yeah, that, you know, hurt uh, my head. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know where those neurons went, but they need to stop. Yeah, you're yeah. Fright. The two yeah the two guys from the Buckles joined Yes after Video Killed the Radio Star. Oh, I... yes. <laughs> I didn't even mean to make that joke. So they were like the entire 80s incarnation of Yes. They were the two main songwriters in the 80s incarnation of Yes. Trevor Horn. Yep. Yep. And again, it's it's Yes, so everyone's been in it. It's kind of like the – you know what? Yes is the musical all-star squadron. That's what it is. Yeah. I think you may be right. There you go. Moving on. The Grammys were held, and we purposely sort of waited to do this podcast until the Grammys because, you know, we yeah, that, always... That's why we waited, Rob. Sure. That's why... No, I mean, we were going to do it a couple weeks earlier, but we waited for the Grammys. Life got in the way of the other one. Oh, yeah. And, um, you know, we it, it, it's kind of like the sleater kidney record. We wanted people to wait so long that the angst and the trauma built up. But uh, speaking of angst and trauma, the Grammys and all of their strangeness and weirdness and I don't know about you guys but there's a couple things that I like and don't like about the Grammys um I, I'm kind of tired of these like pairings of musical artists for no reasons um although to be fair the Annie Lennox one totally worked but still um they're too long and I I have a huge problem with how the categories are made I think we've addressed this before and how they put records in different categories. And, you know, there should be like a complete idiot's guide to the Grammys that someone writes and then gives it to the Grammy Academy, because I think that show would have better ratings 
if they really streamlined it, because somebody's like, well, what, Taylor Swift's up for what? She's up for this. She's up for that. How, how, what's the difference between record of the year and album of the year? And what is best new rock artist versus best new artist? What What is a lot of this stuff? You know? So I think that as time goes on, it still gets more and more muddled with what exactly the awards are. And I think this year, though, for me personally, the best thing about the Grammys was ACDC at the beginning. Because ACDC, they came in, they kicked ass, they took names, and they walked off the stage. And I got to tell you, that was pretty friggin' great. Um, I so was that- kind of bewildered by the fact that the two biggest performances on the show were ACDC and ELO, which between them have won exactly one Grammy, and that was ACDC's. But you know what? If that's the closest I'm ever going to see in my lifetime to seeing ELO. <laughs> I, you know, I think he's actually going to tour. They're putting out a new ELO record, which we forgot to mention earlier, but uh, he may actually tour. Yeah. If they do Xanadu, then, you know, all will be well in the world. Well, see, really. well, it doesn't really matter who the lineup is, because as we all know, the lineup of ELO is whoever Jeff says is in the band. <laughs> yeah. That is that is essentially what ELO is. ELO is whatever Jeff says is whoever's in the band at that time. That's ELO. So I guess we'll, I guess we'll start off with the obvious. Uh, were you surprised by any of the winners? I mean, I thought Sam Smith would win a couple things. I didn't think he'd walk away with as many as he got. And I thought Taylor Swift was going to win more because, um, prepare yourselves, gentlemen, having listened to the Taylor Swift record, it is pretty much the kind of record that the Grammys reward for effort in terms of production, style, um, sales, critical acclaim, and it's an artist that everybody in the Academy seems to like, and also somebody who's taking sort of a risk by changing up their image, and all the benchmarks of a Grammy record, and it didn't win, which I thought was kind of interesting. Well, now, with Taylor Swift, um, I think Shake It Off was the lead-off single, and that was out well ahead of the album. I think yeah. the album was actually released outside of eligibility, but the single wasn't. So I oh. think we, so I think we may get to uh, I think we may get to awards for 1989 next year. Uh, and there are a lot of albums that shake out that way. The D'Angelo record's going to be that way. Uh, the uh, the Foo Fighters record is probably going to make a dent next year. Um, but there are a lot of albums that came out kind of in that edge of October. Hmm. Yeah, I think I guess you're right. I, looking over release dates, and I didn't I didn't realize that. Um, but still, I, that's, I why, that's why the Beyonce record got as much traction as it did this year because it was actually released after the eligibility period of the previous year. Oh, okay. Because I couldn't remember that coming out this year, and I thought I just missed something. Yeah, it's so good. And the thing that bothers me about the categories and nominations. Um, and, and Rob, you may have a thought on this, but is exactly the in the eligibility period that you have to be sold in retail in stores, which oh, wow. basically means which basically means that Beyonce wasn't eligible wasn't actually eligible until this year because she did her surprise release on iTunes, right? Oh. So technically, D'Angelo won't be eligible until possibly this year. Yeah, And then you look at stuff like a couple of years ago where you have stuff like the Amanda Palmer album and stuff like uh, the My Bloody Valentine record, which may have been contenders for Best Alternative, but they weren't eligible because they weren't actually released to retail. Yeah. 
That's true. Now, and, and there is still the requirement in the rules that you have to be sold in retail, which is why there were a couple of albums that came out that snuck in under the radar. The U2 record, for instance, snuck in under the radar of eligibility because they released vinyl two days before the deadline. Well, th- that's what I was going to ask. Is like, uh, toughly, for eligibility, just like with the Oscars, technically to be up for the Oscars, all you have to do is be, have a theatrical release in Orange County, California, from for seven consecutive calendar days. Yeah, which, which is why, which is why you see films released on Christmas Day in Los Angeles and New York, and that means if they release Christmas Day, they have seven days to play, and that's why stuff comes out in January and February, right? Yeah. So, yeah. so how many retail stores do you have to be in? Because like, could Amanda Palmer have pressed like, I don't know. 50 CDs and sold them at a, uh, I don't know, a secondhand music store in, like, Athens, Alabama for a week, and would that have made her eligible? I I don't know. I think you actually have to release a physical product uh, to First Channel Retail. <laughs> wow. And I think, yeah, because, uh, what was it? No, it was the U2 record. Um, the one nomination that U2 actually got, and the only reason they got that is because two weeks after they put the record out on iTunes, they rushed out some vinyl records, some vinyl copies of the album, so that they could be eligible for grant, for a Grammy nomination. Huh. That's really yeah. interesting. So the requirement is still you have to have a physical product in retail during the eligibility period. So internet only releases huh. internet only releases will ne- will not count under current eligibility requirements. I had no idea about that and that, that is sucks. Yeah. And that sort of changes until you change that rule um you know that's what that's a lot of the reason why a lot of where you, where we you know occasionally we ask the question well why don't more people just pull a Beyoncé and just release stuff you know just release it well, that's that's why I'm I'm really curious as to what is the bare minimum that it would take you to do, like, like you know how like that's okay. So first first line retail or whatever, but how many copies do you have to release? Because you could just do oh we're we're gonna put out ten copies of this vinyl and we're gonna sell it at this store, you know it's I, a first first line store. I think in the U two and the case of the U two album, I know there was a first pressing of the vinyl of about ten thousand copies. And I think yeah. that was a record store day Black Friday event. I would, I would, I would love to know what the bare minimum for eligibility would be, because I could see, because I, I, I would also love to see somebody. I would support that Kickstarter if some internet only band said, "Okay, we're going to go do this. We're going to raise this money to do this, so we can actually be up for some Grammys." Not that we're expecting to to, to win any, but we just want to see if we can actually become eligible by pulling this particular stunt as small as we need to pull yeah. it. Yeah. But yeah, you look at that from uh, like a couple of years ago, because everybody was talking about, <coughs> excuse me, everybody was talking about the Amanda Palmer record and everybody was talking about, you know, the surprise My Bloody Valentine record. And then it came to nominations where they could have been, where both of those releases were seriously in the conversation, but they weren't eligible. 
Yeah, so that's just another example of them being behind the times because you could, I mean, oh, you know what, you know what though, Tuffley, I'm surprised because there are so many categories in the Grammys. You, you'd think somebody would have snuck in an internet, best internet only release or something. You know what I mean? Because there's so many flavors of awards yes. in the Grammys. So... And and I know don't the Brits have something about the downloaded single category, Rob? Yeah, they do. They have a single of the year, and they have a um, and they have an international one too. So they broke an international. It. It's always weird when we see because I'm like, no, oh wait, oh yeah, for them they're they're international. Yeah. So I know the Brits have a category for that, um, but uh, but no, that although to be fair, it is only two because there's one. There's a British one and there's an international one, but uh, but yeah, the Brits have it. So yeah, they should. It'd be nice if they did like single like. But also, song, but, like, but also the Brits make just, much more sense. Yeah, make, make life much much more easier. But also, uh, the Brits is I think that's the charts company that does the Brits too, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay, so and and also to be fair, the charts company is integrated digital sales. Uh, as as part of their charting platform, a great deal of time before Billboard did. So, yeah, they know something everybody else don't, I suppose. But still, it's kind of annoying that they they do it that way because it totally confuses people, you know. Yeah. Um, and I remember watching, you know, the American Music Awards, and all of the categories are pretty cut and dry. You know, album of the year means album of the year. You know, so. I don't really know what they can do to sort of fix the Grammys other than, you know, call song of the year, single of the year, because then people although, will get it. Them. Although, to be fair to the American Music Awards or to the Grammys, um, yeah. the, American, the American Music Awards, and the, especially in the Dick Clark years, um, you know, people only showed up if they won. So basically, yeah. basically, whoever Dick Clark could get decided that, you know, whoever Dick Clark could get on the show... That's who won the award. <laughs> nice. That's actually really funny. <laughs> or, or like, or like the Dick Clark people would like go to them and say, "Hey, we know the results of the poll. Yeah, you can." That's funny. and that's how they because because it's always didn't you always wonder on the American Music Awards at least when we watched that everybody all of the winners showed up. That's weird. Yeah. That's nice. true. That's very true. Um, that is very true. I, None I think of the, the other nominees showed up, but the winners did. Now, for me, the other big takeaway for the Grammys this year is that I totally, completely didn't think that Aphex Twin was going to win a Grammy. But now it feels weird to say Aphex Twin award winning, or Grammy award winning Aphex Twin. You know, that just seems weird to me. Because he doesn't seem like an artist they would recognize with a Grammy. Well, also, what was it? Best dance record? Was it actually best, best electronic dance record? album? Yeah, because yeah. they have best dance record, and then they also have best electronic record. I think. Okay. I think how, but I well, think the best electronic record is shown on TV. I think well, it's. What I'm saying is, uh, best dance slash electronic is what they won. Okay. Okay. So, so yeah, it was yeah. up against uh, the Little uh, Dragon, Tuffley, the Roy Sock Robin that I had mentioned That's before. It. Matzo and Dead Mouse, so. Which you would have thought Dead Mouse would win, 
you know, based on public popular opinion, but that's okay. Maybe and, he, maybe he split the vote because he seems to put out like six things a year or something. <laughs> yeah, he's at the. Uh, you know, why doesn't Dead Mouse tour with ICP? It's just it just seems perfectly natural because their fans are also annoying. <laughs> well, no, what I, you know the combo tour that I would like, I'd like Dead Mouse and like Slipknot because then they can exchange masks and you'll never know. Nice. <laughs> well done. Well done. Like, what, like one of the Slipknot guys could switch switch and get the big head and, you know, yeah. stand behind stand behind a booth. You know, nobody would know. Yeah. Um, I was pleasantly surprised with the Molly Cyrus Garfunkel cover. Um, oh, an SNL 40? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was watching that and I went... And actually, Kim and I were both watching that, and we both kind of looked at each other at the same time, going, "That's Miley Cyrus. That's almost. That's actually pretty decent. Wow." Well, you can you can, t- you can hear the country in her voice, which totally yeah. worked for her. And I was yeah, like, does. I was kind of interested. In, it's like, is Paul Simon backstage? Did he leave already? Did he not want to come out? Or is he going to Kanye at the end of this and just like hit her over the head with a guitar? Because that would have been. I would have paid for great television like that. Yeah, well, you know, so in general... Well, no, they were just going to set up a running joke that Kanye runs out on everybody. So, which which I guess leads this conversation into two sort of side Grammy-related conversations. I guess the first one is the kerfuffle between um, Tom Petty and Sam Smith. Now, the first time I heard the Sam Smith record, I thought in my head that it sort of sounded like a melody of Tom Petty. I didn't think that he purposely stole it. I didn't think it was anything other than my random brain just perceiving something different. So um, in case you're not aware of the Sam Smith song, uh, Stay With Me, um, now has a writing credit for Tom Petty along with him for that. So Tom Petty. Oh, oh, not just Tom Petty, but Jeff Lynn. Congratulations, Jeff Lynn, for winning your first Grammy. Um, Oh, that's right. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Nice. Nice. So remember the joke earlier about ELO? Okay, we've taken care of that now. So, yeah. <laughs> so it's it's kind of interesting. Um, and I just thought I'd, I'd get into your takes on you know what you thought of this whole issue, whether it's a big deal, if it's being blown out of proportion. Where are we with this? You know, I don't know because I would I would think you know Tom Petty. I don't know if he necessarily. Tom Petty had an actually strange quote about this was that, you know, the intention wasn't to actually sue anybody and whatever. But I'm like, you did press legal action, though. (laughs) So I don't know what we didn't intend to sue anybody means because you got money out of it. I don't understand what that was. But, but, um, you know, we've seen this happen. Um, but apparently, uh, Tom Petty is apparently the nexus of all modern music. Apparently, that's what we're coming up with. Sorry uh, to hear that. I know. Um, so, so basically, everything that you need in modern music, apparently, you can find in Damn the Torpedoes. I'm not sure why that is, but there you go. Yeah. Uh, but I think that, you know, it was just one of those things that happened sort of not intentionally, but... I totally hear it, hear it in there. You know, once you say that, you're like, oh, yeah, it does sound like Tom Petty. And I don't, you know, I don't know that I haven't heard him comment on it yet to know whether he thinks it happened on purpose or not. Um, uh, he, uh, well, the, I was just looking at the, um, 
because I had not heard of this until you sent out the agenda, because that's how up on uh, Sam Smith I am. But well, it's okay. You're, you live in a greater, better world than I do. Then, <laughs> but uh, well, I and that's what I was going to say is I, I I wish the Hosier song had won instead of Sam Smith for a uh, performance, but or or single of the year, song of the year, whatever it is. But um, uh, Petty basically said, yeah, this sort of thing happens. It, it was just an accident. And I think the, the quote he said is, most times you catch it before it gets out of the studio, but this time it just slipped by. So, and toughly, I have some bad news for you. Um, according to uh, the senior vice president of awards at the Grammys, uh, Petty and Lynn don't get to share in the Grammys because uh, they did not do any new writing. Their work was considered to be interpolated. So... Uh, oh, okay. So the ELO joke from earlier—that's still good. Yeah, sorry, right. I still win. It's fine. <laughs> I'm just, just telling you. I still win. It's fine. I, I just wanted to break it to you. I wanted you to hear it <laughs> from a friend. That's that's okay. Although I have just thought about it because of the circle of people that Jeff Lynn has has, has been working with lately, it is entirely possible Regina Spector could be an ELO. Okay, that yeah. that would be okay. <laughs> I, I want to hear Regina Spector uh, covering Evil Woman. Ooh. Yeah, right? Yeah, that totally works. Yep. Well, yeah, that totally works. Surprisingly, <laughs> how well that works. Now you're going to have my brain do that all night. Thanks. You're welcome. Uh, so, really, so really what the Grammys did by booking ACDC and ELO was basically a distraction, and they've won. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Nice. But, you know, it's also a nice nod to the past, though. I mean, they did a lot of really nice nods to the past. A lot of nods although, to yeah. You know, although I, th- I, I find it kind of interesting that, you know, of holding up the rock end of the show, because of what they did last year to, you know, Queens of the Stone Age and Nine Inch Nails, and that whole thing where, oh, yeah, they're going to start playing the song. Oh, and then we're going to throw it a commercial. Yeah. Because they couldn't actually book any real rock bands that they had to go and get ACDC and, you know, or, or at least current modern rock well, bands. Don't forget, though, that the company that owns ACDC's label is also the company that owns the people that are putting on that production. So the fact that ACDC has a new record out had absolutely no reason at all to do with them performing there at all. Also, you know. again, ELO has a record coming out soon. Um, yeah, exactly. You know. Um, but so, you know, uh, but you know, hey, uh, the, uh, hey, we we are we. There is a ninety five percent chance Foo Fighters is going to play on the show next year. So, <laughs> well, one, one of the many award shows they'll be showing up to. But uh, I'm dying to see uh, Wayne Coyne of the Flaming Lips play with ELO. That would be interesting too. Holy shit! Now I'm going to have. Okay, you have your revenge. Because on the again, Regina Jeff Lynn worked with them recently, so yeah. Or I I'd, like to hear, I'd like to actually, I'd like to hear Jeff Lynn play with the Arcade Fire. And and can I just uh, let me throw in here as well? While I am very happy that Mandatory Fun won Best Comedy Album because it's uh, it was very well executed and how it was released, what with all of the the videos and whatnot, yeah. it was quite good. Uh, and any, Weird Al won too. Uh, yeah, well, yeah. Any any uh, any love for Weird Al is fantastic. Um, the the other the other thing that I thought should have won is I, I thought Arctic Monkeys should have won over Jack White for um, 
Uh, yes. Best rock performance. Yes. And I think the Arctic Monkeys should have played, but that's just me. Well, well when, yeah, when is their album coming out? That your problem, too, with, with having a, a rock band that you could fade out to. I think they would have been a, a, a nice compliment to put on that, put on live. Yeah, I... I just think I just think they sort of ran into a problem because, especially with the stunt they pulled last year with uh, with Queens of the Stone Age and Nine Inch Nails, and uh, I forgot the other band they booked in that part. I think they played. I think they actually played during the commercial, but um, that 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 rock finale that got shoved into a Delta Airlines ad. Um, I think I think a lot of bands looked at that going, ah, we don't really want that. So. I think that might have been a booking problem for this year. Okay. Uh, I, I also think, you know, sometimes they, this was not a very good main year. Uh, and therefore maybe, you know, or, or maybe, you know, because Target had already hired Imagine Dragons to play outside in the parking lot. So, um, so, so they were already busy. So, um, but otherwise, I I don't know if it was it was a very good mainstream mainstream rock year. Um, so may, maybe they they didn't think they had a band to put up there and go. This is the band. But Arctic Monkeys probably would have been the best choice for that. Yeah. Honestly. Um, but I also think that Alex, when the when the tour ended, they said they were taking a break for a while. So I think they're kind of sticking to that. Mm, yeah. Because I know, I know, I know. Alex Turner and a bunch of the guys from the band had already said we're going to take, we're going to take a really long break after this. So that would surprise me, yeah, because they've been doing so much. Yeah. But you know, again, there's they were they, they had choices for bands they easily could have put up there. You know. Um, well, again, I think. Band, well, again, yeah. I think I, I think you're going to get Foo Fighters next year. Obviously, I, I think that that's going to be one. Um, they may be the only rock band out there because I know I remember the Grammys a couple of years ago, and actually it was Dead Mouse, uh, where they did the thing where they had Foo Fighters play for three seconds and then and then it went to Dead Mouse. Yeah, they also could do Marilyn Manson because that record's everywhere, which frightens me. What Pale Emperor? Yeah, I'm wondering is that too is that still too risky for them to 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 to, to put him on television? I wonder. Well, they'll put him with Alice Cooper or something as a as a weird gimmick. Maybe. Yeah. No, 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 no. You know what? You know how that would work if they put him on with Nicki Minaj or Julie Andrews. Oh God! <laughs> they could do. You don't bring me flowers. It's like. Uh, it, oh it's, my God! I want that now. They could do it. No, they could do it with. Uh, they could do it with. Uh, you know they could start. They could do it with Marilyn Manson and Nicki Minaj and Drake and The Weeknd. Yeah, that'd be the most Actually, fuck that I cover have no ever. No problem at all in a perfect world seeing Bill Withers with The Weeknd at the Grammys. I have no problem with that. <laughs> at all. But yeah, I don't know. It'll be well. We get a new CeeLo record next year too, so you might see that. I want to see. I want to see, uh, see Julie Andrews and uh, Marilyn Manson do "Islands in the Stream." I think that would be good too. <laughs> Wait, they, no, they could do both as a medley. I think that works. <laughs> or Dolly Parton and Marilyn Manson. Oh no, that's right. So right. Ju- it's a Marilyn Manson medley with Julie Andrews for the first part, and then Dolly Parton comes in for the second part. 
And then Amanda Palmer at the end. No, I'd save Amanda Palmer and the ukulele for the uh, the Mike Patton Taylor Swift duet. <laughs> now you're making a Grammys I actually want to watch. <laughs> yes. You've so, you figured out my weakness. Uh-huh. I get the problem with the Grammys is that it's completely almost unwatchable in parts. You sort of like know who you want to root for. You can kind of figure out what's, although this year not as much, but most of the time you can figure out what's going to win uh, just by, you know, what's popular. And it's not that interesting. And, you know, I, I do have to say that I, I have to give him some props. LL Cool J did a much better job this year hosting it than last year. He looked a little more comfortable. He looked a little more loose. Um, and I, I think although, that's... Although, admittedly, he wasn't actually on stage very often. No. Which I kind of like that, though, because if you're doing that much people moving around on stage and stuff, I, I kind of like that. Um, so I guess that comes to the next question. What happened to all the comedians? Is it that the shows don't want to book comedians to do this anymore or that they're afraid it's the Chris Rock effect and they'll insult everyone? That might be it, you know. Um, or is, my- is it also that it's just too damn long as it stands? True. You could also do that. It's also too finding outside of Chris Rock, there's not a lot of sort of comedians that have a music sort of slant to them these days that are really big, you know? Because I think the last time, the last time the Grammys went comedian, I know Ellen did it one year and then Jamie Foxx did it one year. And then they just went to people who kind of hosted. I would, I'd love Don Rickles to host the Grammys, but I'd be the only person watching it. No, I I would totally watch that. Yeah. Cause I I would, I would want to see Don Rickles, like take the piss out of Marilyn Manson after his medley. Yeah. Actually, you know what? Having having seen the BAFTAs a couple of times, I, I Stephen Fry could host the Grammys. Yeah, yeah. But you know, <laughs> the BAFTAs, the British sort of equivalent of the Grammys, it's compelling because it's at least interesting. And just the way they put the show on, it's not just the fact that the musical artists are all people I tend to be more interested in. It's just the way it's produced and the flow and the pace to it really works better, I think, than the Grammys. And I think a lot of it would just be tightened up with the show if they would just look at the pacing and think about some of the stuff. Oh, this doesn't work, you know. Well, you uh, know, I was about to say CBS has got Corey on the payroll. Yeah. yeah. They've got James Corden on the payroll now, so they're halfway there. Yeah, yeah. that is true. But is there any other surprises we have at the Grammys at all? Well, uh, there, there's obviously the other controversy that uh, I was going to bring up. But I was going to, yeah. But but yes. I, but I was going to say it's not even really a surprise uh, at this point. Yeah. Kanye being a prick. Um, <laughs> I guess we can just move right into that. Um, in case you hadn't heard, Kanye West was again Kanye West, and uh, Beck had his moment of winning, and Kanye sort of had his oh hell no moment. And, you know, Beck, to be fair, was kind of playing with it. He's kind of he did this sort of like, okay, man, you know. And he, Beck, I have to say, who's not one that does a lot of speaking in the media, he tends to just sort of put his records out and let them talk for himself, has really done a wonderful job of sort of spin control of this thing. He has not looked like a bad, I mean, a bad person anyway. He didn't come off as an egomaniac. He didn't come off as being ungracious. He looked like somebody who's like, yeah, I won the Grammy. 
and then he acknowledged the other people that made great records and the person that tried to steal his limelight, and he totally ended up looking like the nicest guy in the world. Well, it. he's kind of an award show bum rush veteran, I think. Wasn't he? Uh, wasn't uh, what? Wasn't he uh, the guy getting an MTV award when Spike Jones came out uh, for the? Uh, yeah. It wasn't Spike Jones. It was one of the Beasties for Sabotage. Uh, that uh, that uh, oh, it yeah. was uh, it was MCA actually. Yeah, it was MCA that. that came out in the uh, in the uh, the later Hosen and had this speech about how how he had always dreamed well when he was a little girl how he had always dreamed of winning an MTV award. Um, <laughs> because I think Beck beat them. Uh, they were nominated for sabotage, and Beck beat them with a video. So it's but, still uh, pretty far. This is this is this is not new territory for Beck. Um, I'm gonna. Well, I, I think the obvious question is what What does Jay Z think about all of all of Kanye's affections for Beyonce as an artist? Um, I'm sure that's kind of uncomfortable. I'm sure that's an uncomfortable situation. I am gonna <laughs> sidestep that though by the opinion that you know I listened to Morning Phase and like I said, I said earlier the Reader. I thought the song Reader was a better record. So yeah. I'm kind of leaning toward. I did actually think the Beyonce record was actually slightly better than Morning Phase. Yeah, yeah. I, I will kind of lean. I will kind of lean toward but, that because yeah, I think the Fog Reader was better. But to be fair, though, Morning Phase came out earlier in the year and literally almost went wire to wire. Yeah, my critics as being the album of the year. Yeah, because um, when you were talking about it on uh, Weekend Justice which is the other, other podcast that we do. Uh, we do another podcast. Uh, yeah. Um, is, you know, I remember you saying, it's on a lot of critics' lists. So I'm like, okay. And I just, it literally, it had a critic buzz coming out, right? Which yeah. I miss because I don't read, I don't always read Rolling Stone or a lot of the big things. And then it was getting word of mouth by a lot of people. I like, okay, they have good taste in music. I can see why they like this. But then when it started being like people that I... I knew that had no interest in anything that, like that record were really going on about it. Then it was kind of like, wow. So that's the record this year that people that probably would normally not listen to a Beck record would listen to. Yeah. It's also sort of like a good record because in general, 2014 was kind of a down year. And I think, yeah, I really think that the overall feel of the year nationally sort of does affect the record. I think if people thought 2012 was like a bounce or 2014 was like a bouncy, happy year, you might have seen Beyonce win it, you know? Yeah. Uh, but since it was kind of a down year, I think it won because it really made people feel comfortable yeah. in a really crappy kind of year. Um, so I think that, that has something to do with it. But it's also the fact, too, and, and I know that this I don't necessarily think is always the case of like, yeah, this instrument play. This person played fifteen instruments on the record, and it's one yeah. person to say. I don't necessarily think that's a fair weight all the time, but in this instance, I think it does matter a little bit. Yeah, because the record managed to be polished and well produced, but not sound that way. That's true, and, and I think that's the essence of why it's. It almost reminded me of sort of being great in the same way that Pet Sounds was. Is it so understated that it works, whereas? everything with the Beyonce record is just big and bright and, you know, it's in your face. And, you know, I don't think Beyonce not winning, I don't think is the end of the world. It's not, it's not going to hurt her career at all. No, you know, it's so, not. Um, nor is, I think 
morning phase winning going to catapult back into, you know, the front bit at Walmart. Um, but I think it's, I think it's interesting. I think it's a sign that, you know, the industry is giving away at the ceremony, a lot of sort of schmaltzy awards for songs and morning phase is kind of a nice counterbalance to the Sam Smith record, which again is another down record, but it's so down. It's so like melodramatic that it's kind of annoying. Whereas the Beck record sort of just goes down with really good whiskey almost. Um, so I'm not totally uncomfortable with him winning, mainly because it literally went wire to wire. Yeah. Um, Although, you know, I do wonder, and, and we mentioned this before, but I do wonder if in some way the Beyonce record was somewhat penalized for its release strategy. Yeah. I, you, you have to wonder that. And again, going back to bringing up the idea about the D'Angelo record next year, I wonder if that's going to penalize the D'Angelo record as well. Yeah. Uh, because it was also internet only for the first month of its release. Well, one of the... Uh... I, as I may, I may have mentioned on Weekend Justice as well, I was reading a, an analysis of it that said, yeah, we're not actually surprised that Beck won because Morning Phase was pretty much the only uh, rock or rock-ish album that was yeah. up. So if you've got everything else, you know, for, and, and they said there's a history of when there's only one rock album up for album of the year, it wins because everything else sort of splits the vote. You know, so you've got yeah. you've got um, uh, you know, Beyonce and uh, and and Sam Smith and and Pharrell uh, all in there, which aren't you know exactly. I mean, they're, they're, I you know I wouldn't necessarily lump them all together, but genre wise, they are they sort of if you would envision the Venn diagram of where they would line up on genres, they sort of overlap. Yeah. Certainly more than um, uh, certainly more than you know the morning phase did. So it definitely stuck yeah. out. Well, you also have to remember, and I pointed this out in the live tweet, um, that the last time Beck was in a best album category, uh, he was in it with, he was in it with Radiohead with kid a. Oh yeah. Uh, back in 2001, ladies and gentlemen, cast your minds back. Uh, the winner of that year's album of the year was drum roll, please. Wham. Thank you. Uh, was Steely Dan. Oh, yeah, that's right. Was the Steely Dan comeback record that nobody liked. <laughs> because it was a Steely Dan record. So that's what I point to. So I basically, I, I basically made the joke that, yeah, in 14 years, they'll finally give Beyonce an album of the year uh, Grammy then. It just takes 14 years. But but yeah, I do find that interesting. I, I wonder I wonder if if the release strategy in some way or another might penalize coming into next year's eligibility uh, the D'Angelo record because yeah. right now right now that is a solid contender for album of the year. Yeah. In in and and I would think I think it would be so even in, even in like Grammy awards because I do like a lot of oh this is a really good album this is a really good album but I think you know. If you're thinking in terms of what's what's going to get nominated for something, I'm thinking that's it. So, yeah. so, uh, so I am curious to see if if there will be a continued backlash against uh, it doesn't show up in retail first, um, because again, even with Grammy eligibility, is it has to show 
physical retail copies is what your eligibility period is. So, and there's so much stuff coming out digital now too. Yeah, that, that or digital have, first. They're almost yeah. like the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. They're almost at a crossroads of where they have to figure out what their what their next move is going to be. Yeah, I think. So I, I think I think if we look to next year and uh, particularly with the D'Angelo record, it's going to be kind of interesting to see how that shakes out. Yeah, uh, and to see if that actually if the release strategy actually does penalize you as far as that goes, because I suspect that might've had something to do with the Beyonce situation. <laughs> yeah. You're probably right about that as well. Uh, particularly with the older voters, um, because you got to remember, you know, the Academy is still tends to lean old. Um, yes. As does, as does when well, we've mentioned this with the Oscars, as does the, 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 the Academy of motion pictures. You know, it tends these these associations tend to lean old, as does the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And as you start to get these younger members, they don't quite have the sway or the influence yet. So it takes them a while to be able to get or enough of them to get in a position to, you know, change the categories or change the diversity or change whatever. But they tend to lean old, which is why you get situations like Steely Dan winning in 2001. So completely sort of a misreading everything kind of a thing. Yeah. It it, it takes, it takes quite a long time for diversity to sort of catch up. Yeah. Well, uh, and again, I'm, I'm wondering how much of that, I mean, once you take into account that if you don't have any sort of physical product at all, you're not even eligible, but I mean, I, I, you know, looking at the, the Angelo record, you know, it's like, well, if you've got the same situation next year, with D'Angelo and say, you know, like a, a, a let's a, just say the Foo Fighters win album of the year next year. Well, yeah, that's that's what, it's exactly the example I was going to put is if you had D'Angelo up against the Foo Fighters, but like there's another, you know, another like funk and soul artist or an R and B artist or you know a dance artist or something like that. Then, but Foo Fighters, if they're the solo rock album that's up, you know, is it really a reflection on D'Angelo's being penalized, or is it just that you know he's up against, you know it's it's, it's the same thing in the Oscars when yeah when somebody is so from with two supporting actors are up for the best you know for the same film mm-hmm. they're going to split the vote and you can pretty much say that they're you know going to be uh, going to be surpassed by somebody else because all the supporters of that film it's now split so all the supporters of the genre are are having their vote split three four ways. The Godsford yeah. Park effect? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, because to me the Gosford Park Park effect is that I fall asleep. Um, <laughs> and I'll give the Beyonce album that. I certainly did not fall asleep listening to it. There, there were actually some really good songs on there. Yeah. Um, but, but as a whole, I, for me, it, didn't, it really didn't work for me uh, as a whole album um, as well as Morning Phase did. Um, and that, that's the big, big thing too, is that it, it's a body of work that's an album. Yeah, Whereas, yeah. well, well, that's exactly the, why I've got so many things on like the the 2012 list that are just songs that they weren't released, uh, they weren't released as singles. But in listening through the album, I went, yeah, it's a standout track, above and beyond uh, everything else. So, yeah, it's a fair point. As well. So, do we have anything else we want to talk about the Grammys at all? Do you think we've 
sort of put it off until next year? Do we hope for better next year, or do you think we just sort of bide our time and pray that it gets better? I think Prince came out looking like a champ. Yeah. And uh, I think if you have award shows now, I think uh, if you put Taylor Swift in the front row and she dances to everything, yeah, you can sell records with that. I love the fact that uh, Beck was really excited. He goes, oh, and Prince. It was great. That was like his enthusiasm. He didn't even care about the award or Kanye coming up. He was talking to Prince. Yeah. And then, you know, there's a couple times. Oh, I thought it was interesting, too, that when um, ACDC were playing, you could see Paul McCartney, like, really getting into it. I thought that was really funny, too. Oh, I love the bit during the ELO performance where they cut to Paul. And, mm-hmm. like, he turned to look at the camera and then promptly sat down because he realized he was the only one, he was the only one in that section. <laughs> like, Paul yeah. realized he was the only person in his particular section, like, up dancing to the ELO song and then sat down. Yeah, that's really sad, but it's still funny. <laughs> He's Paul McCartney. He can pretty much do whatever the hell he wants. Yeah. So. I would agree. So, on that note, too, we're going to wind down this edition of the sign of the soundboard, because we've covered a pretty large gamut of things. Um, Tuffley is in the chair next time, correct? Uh, yes, I am in the chair. Um, I don't know about driving, but you know, yeah. I, I, as that works, it, 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 it will usually come involving crashing into a tunnel. So whatever. I'm and good. we should also, we should also mention too, that it would behoove you uh, that if you hear any of the songs, music or otherwise things that we've mentioned um, on this show, to go to the Amazon link at needcoffee.com and buy your stuff from Amazon through that Need Coffee link, then uh, Widge gets a little bit of uh, extra help in making all the gears turn, and it's just a nice thing to do. So remember that. And um, uh, uh, Widge, you got anything else to add before we uh, before we hightail it? Uh, no, I think that's it. I just um, you know keep keep going out and finding new music to listen to and. And uh, you can actually, if you find something that you want to bring to our attention, you can still get us at soundboard at needcoffee.com and let us know what you think about what you find. Yeah, and we'll have links to all the Radio 6 shows, too, on there, so you won't be uh, lost anymore and the infection will spread. Yeah, so so you, too, can have your time sucked up by Rob, the sonic James Bond villain. I didn't mean to. I'm sorry. Yeah, whatever. So on that note, we're going to uh, adjourn for the soundboard and get on to uh, our daily lives. Uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. And, uh, yeah, just enjoy it and listen to tunes. All right. All right. And, and stopping. Stopping.